let's end the week and not talk about this abortion stuff like everybody else is. Go to Fox News, go wherever you can sit back and you can listen to the abortion. Let's have some fun. Okay, so what did we learn this week? What are the stories? Well, Apple employees are lazy. And then I've got a story that's so bizarre, I had to read it twice. And then I had to tell you about it. And a prominent communist scholar finally admits Trump may not have been so bad. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Oh my gosh. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Happy Cinco de Mayo. I didn't even know it was Cinco de Mayo until I went on Twitter and they showed uh, they showed a ship sinking and the ship's name was De Mayo. Sinking Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I just sent it to Josie, so we'll see what she says about it. I, I don't even know if she's going to get it. Okay, well, I don't know what you're going to do tonight. I'm probably going to the gym. <laughs> Uh, to celebrate Cinco de Mayo, and then maybe I'll buy some Modelos. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, by the way, Cinco de Mayo, it's an interesting thing. They don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo in Mexico. Cinco de Mayo was representative of a battle between the Mexicans who were trying to get independence against, I think, the Spanish. And there was a small battle in some little itty-bitty town in Mexico. And they beat down the Spanish. And the Spanish ended up retreating. And that was the start of Mexican independence. In that little town where that battle took place, they don't celebrate Cinco de Mayo. As a matter of fact, in Mexico itself, they rarely celebrate Cinco de Mayo. It's just another drinking day. And if you've been to Mexico, you will know, depending on where you live in Mexico, you drink pretty much every day over there. At least that's what happens when I go down there. So, just a little little tidbit there. Okay, and maybe I should have added that in, but I finished the podcast. I finished the script already, and I only know a little bit about Cinco de Mayo. Maybe I'll throw something in there later. I Probably not. Okay, so... I. This story really trips me out. So according to the Daily Mail, and it's three paragraphs, I have to read all three paragraphs. A group of Apple employees have accused the big tech giant of only benefiting privileged staff with its push for corporate workers to return to the office, saying that the shift back to an in-person model will make the company younger, whiter, and more male-oriented. Again, of course... To make people go back to work is racist. The employees employees organized under newly formed group called Apple Together, which is kind of a union thing, petitioned the company on Friday in an open letter after CEO Tim Cook told staffers that they would need to, to work from the office one day a week starting April 11th, Two days a week, three weeks late uh, after three weeks, and three days per week after May 23rd. They wrote that the decision to bring employees back to the office was not motivated by a quote need to commune in person end quote, as Cook wrote in his letter to the staff, but rather was driven by the company's quote fear of the future work of work, fear of worker autonomy, and fear of losing control end quote. Now in my day. Uh, all the idiot kids 
would have received a group email from Tim Cook and said, no, you're coming to work. And if they continued this little minor temper tantrum that these kids are having, they would be fired unceremoniously. I'm pretty sure most of these employees don't have a contract. They're located in San Francisco or in San Jose, wherever it happens to be in California. And it is a, you know, it is accepted that they can fire you at any time. But it won't happen. And here's the problem. It's the company's fault. They've all gone way too woke. Apple is an extremely leftist company. Apple buys the concept of stakeholder capitalism as opposed to shareholder capitalism. The employees are considered stakeholders and they're considered very important to the company. There's also a big push by the left for this thing called the Great Reset. I just finished the book called COVID-19, The Great Reset, and they push this thing. Okay, The idea is that we should all be working from home this is what Carl. Uh, this is what uh, Charles Schwab wrote, or Klaus Schwab. Excuse me. I keep calling him Charles. This is what Klaus Schwab wrote. We should all be staying at home because it'll shrink our corporate footprint on the environment. We don't need all those corporate buildings anymore. We should be all staying at home and dealing with it. It'll be better for the violent uh, environment because the the corporate footprint will be shrunk, but also. We will be traveling less. We won't be driving to work and driving back from work. We'll have less flying of planes to get to business meetings. And he he justifies this by saying that we have the technology for it. And the pandemic has proven that technology works. And the thing is, these kids have learned this concept. This isn't a new concept. They've been talking about the Great Reset for about since I think the 70s. This isn't a new concept. They thought, the the left always thought that the Great Reset would come about from from the environment. That, of course, the environment, they've been telling us for every 10 years that the the world's going to end in 10 years. So that never worked. But they're still trying to protect the environment. They said, okay, COVID-19 will do it. Apple does have an equality problem too. Um, they are 70% men, 30% women, and a majority of those people are white. Now, that shouldn't be Apple's problem. They're just trying to hire the best worker. They're made up of software engineers, for Christ's sake. So they're hiring a bunch of software engineers that just happen to be white males. Just like when I worked at an engineering, an actual engineering factory, most of the people that were designing were white males. That doesn't mean we didn't have females. Doesn't mean we didn't have people of color. We did. Of course we did. California. But most engineers were white males at the time. And the problem is they don't want to be challenged with this stuff. They really don't want to be challenged with this stuff because they've been screaming Apple itself. That's why I don't own an iPhone. It is literally the reason why I don't own an iPhone. I don't like their politics. They cannot be challenged because they've been pushing this crap for so long that now, oh God, here we go. As of this writing, as of this uh, podcast, 
Apple still hasn't responded. They don't know how they're going to respond. And by the way, these kids don't get it either. I mean, he's not telling everybody on on April 19th, everyone goes five days a week to work. Okay, one day for three weeks, and then we'll go to two days, and by end of May, we'll go for three days. I mean, there's nothing in his letter that says... it's. And by the way, I, if you want to, you can read the letter that those kids wrote because it's hysterical. Some, I mean, they give six reasons why they shouldn't have to go to work, and one of them is serendipity. I, I don't know. <coughs> I read it. I have no idea what they mean by this. But, yeah, so Apple is going to fold on this one. I can already tell. Now, I remember I used to think that these entitled kids that were coming out of college and thought, you know, the world owes them, that when they got into the real world, they were going to face the real world. The real world that all the coddling that the colleges do, (coughs) all the coddling colleges do, that garbage ain't going to work in the real world. When they get a real job, they're going to learn that, you know something, I'm not irreplaceable. Guess what? The colleges are also producing the bosses now. So they learn the same philosophies. So they realize, okay, we got to be kind of careful. And a lot of these companies don't like to be called racist. And the boardroom, the boardrooms are now pushing stakeholder capitalism instead of shareholder capitalism, where profit is what they're supposed to do. Profit for the shareholders. By the way, the shareholders, they should have the profit. The shareholders are the ones putting the money down on the company. They're the ones that are pushing for innovation and things like this. And in true capitalism, in shareholder capitalism, the whiny little kids, they don't care. They just fire them. You don't like working here. You can leave or you can be fired. But that's not what's happening now. But the idea here isn't good for the kids either. They never get to socialize with the other employees. And socialization, believe it or not, is important. Tim Cook's statement about camaraderie, uh, what did he exactly say? He said, um, uh, yeah, worker autonomy. That's just important. You don't get camaraderie. You don't get, you don't get any of that stuff on a Zoom call. And by the way, They've done studies on that, and they know that's true now. Not to mention, I met Josie at work. A lot of relationships start at work. These kids don't realize they're kicking their own butts here. But there's one thing that bothered me when I was working from home, and this is something that I I never understood. First off, um... Rolling out of bed and jumping onto Zoom or connecting your VPN to start working, um, it doesn't prepare you for work. One of the things I used to do, we I had a, I had a dress code, I had to look good, I couldn't, I had to shave, right? I had to do all sorts of things that made me look good for work. And when I looked good for work, I worked better. When I roll out of bed in the morning in my PJs or whatever I happen to be wearing, sit on my deal, sit on my computer and start working, guess what? I I don't transition well. 
I, I don't get the quality of work out of me that I usually want to get. Not to mention, going to work has a purpose. Going to work preps you for the day. It takes me. It took me 20 minutes to get from home to work. And I, in that 20 minutes, I would usually sit and think about, okay, what do I have to do today? Whereas if I roll out of bed, I, I lose that. I, I, matter of fact, it takes me maybe 20 minutes to figure out what the hell I'm supposed to do. Not to mention, coming home from work has the opposite effect. You can unwind a little bit. Whereas you can't unwind if you're always at home. And that's the other thing. When your home is your office, your home is supposed to be a respite from work. But if you're always at home, your home is not a respite. It is work. It is harder to unwind and get away from work. So, you know, again, that's all part. This is all part and partial with what a lot of the elites, especially the globalists, want to do, to, and mostly to save the environment. That That's the reason they're doing it. Okay. Well, it, it, hey, they're lucky I don't own the company because they would have sent me that letter. I would have said, oh, well, you know, you're fired. I'm sorry, be at work. I'm even surprised they gave them that kind of thing. One day, then two days, then three days. No, we're going five days a week on May 23rd. Get ready for it. Deal with it. Okay, this next story I couldn't believe. I had to read it twice. I had I, I said it to Josie when I just read the headline. And I saw some of the pictures. I couldn't believe it was true. Listen to this crap. I, a man, this is according to the New York Post, by the way. A man who lost his penis due to a severe blood infection has had an artificial member surgically attached to his nether region, like the language there, six years after it was designed by doctors. I feel like a real man again, Malcolm McDonald, 47, exclaimed in a new documentary detailing his ordeal. The mechanic, who resides in Norfolk, England, was left mortified back... You know, can I ask you a question? In England, they have some of the worst dentistry in the country. Have you ever seen... The teeth of Englanders. I'm sorry if anyone's from England. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You would think that maybe you would update your dental technology and not worried about worry about okay creating fake penises. But that's what they did. Uh, continuing, the mechanic who resides in Norfolk, England, was left mortified back in 2010 when his penis quote just dropped off onto the floor end quote. That's the one that was made after he suffered an infection in his uh, perineum. Surgeons subsequently manufactured a new penis for the father of two using the skin flap of his left arm. They planned to remove the man-made member down to his pubic area, but were forced to stop the operation due to a lack of oxygen in his blood. Okay, so right now, this guy has a penis on his arm. It is connected to his arm. Every news article that I looked at, I couldn't see the penis because they had to blur it out. I really want to see this penis. I will watch this documentary just because I want to know what this penis looks like. I I, want to see, is it amazing? I mean, what's going on with this thing? 
Now, the bad news for poor uh, Mr. McDonald is that um, they didn't have to use a lot of blurring on it, so apparently it wasn't exactly a... Let's just say no one's going to go ooh and ah when they see it. But who knows? I, I just, I need to know. Not to mention, the New York Post released the entire plan for this penis. I mean, this stuff is an engineering marvel. Because they had it, you know, because when it's when the penis is not erect, it's not erect, and he's going to have to push buttons on his iPhone or something to make it erect. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, well, the good news is this guy already has two kids. Uh, apparently, he's already got health problems. So, but uh, he's going to make some money on this because it's going to be a documentary. And you know what? I will pay to see that documentary just to get a gander at that penis that's hanging off his left arm. And, and by the way, is he ever going to take that off? Or, I mean, what's going to happen? Is he going to be stuck with a penis on his arm for the rest of his life? Or are they, that, the article never talked about that. What they're going to do now that he's got uh, oxygen, oxygenation problems in his bloodstream. So, <laughs> we're going to have to see. I don't know. It, personally, I think that is, that is a talking point at parties. You want to see my penis and then pull up his, his sleeves. I don't know. It also could be an HR problem. He's a mechanic. Yeah, okay. All right, in this next story, this is kind of cool. So there's a guy named Noam Chomsky. He's a linguist from MIT. He's also a philosopher. He's written several books. He's a very smart guy. There's no question. But he has some real issues. I, I'm sure you know the name. You might know the name. Okay, first off, he hates democracy. He hates capitalism. He's written a book called Rules for Radicals, which is required reading by Antifa me members, and he's a full-fledged communist. So this is not a guy that I would actually point to and say, this is the future of our country. All right. He also hates Donald Trump. He wrote several articles condemning Trump. He's called Trump a Nazi, an anti-Semite, a racist, I'm sure. But he did admit something on the internet this week, or this past weekend, and I was a little shocked. Now, this is about two minutes long, and Noam Chomsky is older than dirt. But the point is, I found it really difficult to, to pull only a section of this, so I'm going to play the whole two uh, minutes and 20 seconds, because he does explain a lot about history and diplomacy and statesmanship and he, he it, it is important to get a context of where he's going so listen to this well there is fortunately one statesman in the united states and europe who has laid out a person of a high political figure who has made a very sensible statement about how you can solve the crisis namely by facilitating negotiations instead of undermining them and uh, moving towards establishing some kind of accommodation in Europe, maybe along the, uh, in which there are no military alliances, but just mutual accommodation. Uh, he didn't say it, but it's 
something like uh, what George H.W. Bush, the first Bush, not the second, uh, proposed in the early 90s in his when after the collapse of the Soviet Union, proposed what they called a partnership for peace, which would be open for Europeans generally, Eurasians as well. It wouldn't eliminate NATO, but he would live up to the promise that NATO would not expand to the East, firm promise to Gorbachev, keep to that, allow NATO there, but kind of de-emphasize it so other countries could join, including Russia for that matter, join the partnership for priests. Uh, Tajikistan joined, for example, not NATO, and moved towards a world, a Europe, Eurasia, with no military alliances. Actually, de Gaulle had similar vision. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, in his initiatives trying to contact Putin, suggested something similar. So going back to the one Western statesman, he didn't mention all of this, but he suggested something similar. Move towards negotiations and diplomacy instead of escalating the war. Uh, try to see if you can bring about an accommodation, uh, which would be roughly along these lines. Uh, his name is Donald J. Trump. You know what? I got to hand it to Noam Chomsky. He's a communist, he's an anti-capitalist, he's a globalist, he believes the United States should be like Europe, he believes the United States should join Europe, he believes in activism and rioting, he, he thinks that Antifa models themselves after this guy's work, but he knows, he's smart enough to know, well, you know, Donald Trump, you know, there wouldn't have been a war in Ukraine without Donald with Donald Trump. There, he, this is the problem with the left. And this guy, he's a leftist. There's no question. But he's got enough reason to sit there and say, listen, we got to give this guy some credit. Now, granted, that's the only credit he gives him. He, he only believes in his foreign policy diplomacy. But this is the problem with the left. And this is why the left doesn't, like why Trump has a very strong and quite large base and the left no one listens to the left anymore I mean he is the first president in forever I can't even recall the last president that never deployed troops he destroyed ISIS ISIS well now Biden's here and they're back he had three peace treaties in the Middle East that's the most since the 70s, there, where there was only one peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. He kept Russia, North Korea, Korea, Iran, and China in check militarily. He was the first president to step into North Korea since the 40s. He had the lowest unemployment rates in history. The stock market went nuts under him. GDP was the highest it had been in 10 years. And when the pandemic hit, he had a vaccine within six months. It didn't work, but I mean, he had one. But he is, he said crap. And this is what people didn't like about him. I didn't like it about him. He said a lot of crap. Well, 
I mean, when Trump dies, his headstone's going to say, here lies the body of, here lies Donald J. Trump. He said a lot of crap. That's what's going to say. Well, we got what we voted for now. We got war in Europe. Iran is horribly unstable. Saudi Arabia wants to start uh, start trading oil with uh, China with using the yuan instead of the dollar. We've got an economy in a disaster. As of right now, the stock market's dropped a thousand points. So uh, yeah, good for us. We got what we voted for. We got democracy, and we're getting democracy good and hard. Okay, last story. I know, it's going to be a little shorter today, maybe. I want you to listen to this and tell me what was said. Because, no, oh well, well, we'll talk about it after. Uh, this is a little, little video by a gal named Robinson Hernandez, Henderson Espinosa. I'll give you a little more about her after um, you listen to the video. But I, I think you should listen to this. It might change your mind on a couple of things. Here it is. The not yet is the imaginal space of becoming. The not yet is, is in the space of a realized utopia. The not yet is the Christian message that we must embody in critical and creative ways to steward a narrative that calls us into being human with one another again. That is the kind of hope I want to invite us to embody. That is the kind of queerness that I hope we can practice. One that reimagines language and practice and narratives that can be midwifed and stewarded through the imaginal. That is hope to me. That is the kind of power I think we have as a collective of believers, of doubters, of Christians as those who are becoming. Yeah. Okay. What? Okay, let me calm you down a little bit. You're not an idiot. She just strung a bunch of words together and made a, made up a couple of them. Elon Musk once said, just because you have a college degree doesn't mean you're not an idiot. This woman proves his statement. Something's about doctor Robin Henderson Espinosa from her website and from the Duke Divinity School. Duke, considered a borderline Ivy League college. $60,000 a year is what they charge. Okay, she is. This is according to, I had to look this brought up because I heard this thing and I was like, no. Okay, she's a trans queer Latinx. Latinx, or whatever you want to call it. I have no idea what it is. She's a trans queer Latinx. Well, she's a chick, so she must think she's a male. She kind of dresses herself up as a male. I don't know. She's an activist scholar and a politicized theologian. My God, this gal, I, I, I tried to look up what she's, what theology she studies. I didn't find one, but she's kind of bordering on Christian, but kind of on the outskirts of Christianity. Um, her bio on the university's website, and by the way, it is 
that bio is probably, let me guess, maybe, maybe 400 words. I mean, it's kind of long and it all doesn't make sense. So this is only part of it. Robert Robert Robin Henderson Espinosa, PhD, has been described in a myriad of ways. A scholar activist, a scholar leader, thought leader, teacher, public theologian, ethicist, poet of moral reason, and word artist. Okay, what this basically means is she's a BS artist. Okay, and by the way, that's she's been described in that. So what is she? <laughs> it didn't say. That's that's what they described her. I went to her website, or no, further, she was also described, among these ways of describing Dr. Henderson Espinoza, they are also visionary thinker who has spent two decades working on the borderlands of the church, which means she's really not accepted by any church. She works on the borderlands of the of the Christian church. I mean, she's in the theology department, so academy and movements seeking not only to disrupt and dis but dismantle supremacy culture by focusing her, their PhD studies on new concepts of being and becoming, decolonizing knowledge production, and bridging with radical difference. I yeah, okay. So in other words, she's a nut job. Okay, on her website, she describes her wor life's work. Here it comes. My life's work focuses on connecting the dots between theory and action, helping folks within the dominant culture and white-passing folks who are ready to confront their socialization to identify the ways they have conscripted into supremacy culture by leaning into connection and relationship by composting existing hierarchies into the kind of transformed culture we long to see emerge. I have no idea what that means. That's just, you can tell she wrote that. That's just stringing along a bunch of stupid terms that leftists use. What exactly, can, can you tell me what is she talking about? I mean, she said composting. I read, read that word for word. That's what she said. Then I, I sat back and I looked at some of the things she supports. She supports critical race theory, right? So right off the bat, she's done. And she's too stupid to realize critical race theory is crap. I read you the introduction for critical race theory it's, it, in how to be an anti-racist. It's crap. She supports Black Lives Matter, which is a radical organization. And finally, she's really, really, really fat. So she's, I mean, this gal must be three bills, three to four bills. She's a big girl. This is something that really gets me. I, this is a woman who spends her career dicking the United States of America. But if the United States of America was really that bad, why is she so fat? She apparently is, hasn't missed any meals. She apparently is making six figures. She's written two books that I, I, I assume somebody has bought. I wouldn't buy them, but I'm sure somebody has bought them. My guess would be her students, because she probably forces the students to buy them. But she seems to have it, looking at her, she seems to have it pretty well. I mean, she's at an Ivy League school.
Ivy League caliber school. Duke is a good school. You you you're not getting in on a basketball scholarship. You're going to have to have grades. And by the way, that reminds me. This gal teaches at Duke University which charges 60,000 a year just for tuition. It's 17, 18,000 a year to live on campus. And we wonder why Apple employees today have the audacity to say they don't want to come back to work. They'd rather work from home. Hey, I, I'm telling this to Josie, and I tell this to everybody, go to trade school. I have a degree. What did I end up doing? Going to a trade school, learning a trade. It makes, it makes the kids far more valuable. Because I got news for you. If this gal did not have Duke University, she'd be unemployed. She'd be fat because the only thing she'd be able to afford were Doritos and Coca-Colas. Okay, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Um, go visit my website. Take a look at the, the pictures that they have for that guy with the penis growing out of his hand arm. That's kind of bizarre. Um, also, I have released a video. It should, it's up now. So if you want to go to Rumble, type in dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. Don't forget to subscribe and press that rumble button. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.